The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, what a, a great privilege that we can call you Father. Perhaps in our modern vernacular, Dad, a little less formal. We can speak to you and you will hear because you have, for most of us here I trust, you have drawn us near and made us sons, even the women of us, sons, heirs. You made us sons and daughters. Bless your name, Father. Say thank you for that and pray that as we hear your word today, you would do a work in us to call us to walking through this life now in ways that befit our standing. Lord, call your people, not just in word, but, but effectually call your people to faithfulness in covenant with you today. Please do that, Lord, to change us. Don't leave us like we are now. Change us, I, I ask you. Before our good, and it, it would honor your name if you would work through this passage to make a people here who walk in covenant faithfulness. You've always had a people, you've always called them to covenant faithfulness, and you've done something marvelous for us here today to empower that. And I pray, make that clear to your people. Make, make what is required clear and make what you have provided to enable that requirement clear and grow in us faithfulness and joy. Do that work, I ask, Lord, by your Spirit's power among us. Thank you. Honor the name of Christ, I ask it in his name I pray. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And you'll recall that at the end of chapter 11, the prophet Samuel had directed Saul and all of Israel with him to go to Gilgal, there to renew the, the kingdom. They were fresh off a great military victory. Looked at that in chapter 11. Whereas chapter 11 verse 13 put it, the Lord had worked salvation for Israel. They'd faced a, a threat, an invader, and... God had used Saul, yes indeed, he had used Saul, he had used the people, but Saul himself affirmed, and as we saw a couple of times by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, God is the one who worked salvation. God worked the victory there in Israel and delivered Jabesh Gilead. And so right after that victory, Samuel called them all to go up to Gilgal, this special place that was full of reminders of the goodness of God and the, and the powerful delivering hand of God. Talked about a couple of those last week, but Gilgal was, was the place where Joshua and the folks who came through the Jordan River first stopped, and there were many reminders there of God's covenant faithfulness, and it was the, the headquarters for the army as they spread out and conquered all of the land. So there was much there to remind them of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And they went there, they all gathered there, and they crowned Saul king and renewed the kingdom, not started the kingdom, renewed it indicating there already was a kingdom long before Saul was born. 
God has always been king over his people, and they were renewing it. That kingdom had fallen into disrepair, but now in this, in this new turn of events, there was a new life being breathed into the kingdom, and they, they celebrated that, offered sacrifices of peace, and rejoiced greatly. That's where the chapter ended. So as we come to chapter 12, we are probably still at Gilgal. It doesn't say for sure, but we're probably still there. And Samuel, this is all one big speech from Samuel, he is now going to speak to this new people and king and explain to them a few things. He's going to clarify what his role is because he's no longer going to be the judge leading the people. He's stepping back as the king steps forward. He's going to clarify what his role is. And he's also going to talk to them about what their role is in relation to the real king, the Lord. He's going to remind them of the covenant and call them to faithfulness. What he says is, in some places, very direct and pretty hard. It's also full of hope and grace. If you have ears to hear the hard part. If you have ears to hear the hard part, you will find also that there is a God of grace and mercy in the very same chapter who means to meet his people and do good to them. But there's some hard stuff that I plead with you. Listen through. God may very well speak to you in the hard part. The passage proceeds a bit like a court proceeding. It has the language of prosecution in it, some language of, of a trial with uh, calling people to stand and hear and then witnesses. He's prosecuting a case here. And so there's some conviction and also an offer of mercy that leads to life. So we're going to look at today. Let me read the text, all of chapter 12. Start in the beginning and read all the way through. It's a long passage, but it's all one unit belongs together, so I'm going to read all of it. 1 Samuel 12, verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that I have said to, and all you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, 
And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of all the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you and you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The word of the Lord. The court proceedings begin with Samuel calling himself to account, putting himself on trial, if you will. He's been their leader now for for decades upon decades. In verses 1 to 5, he wants to clarify his standing, his position before them. And he says, essentially, have I led you in righteousness and justice, yes or no? Point it out if, if so. And they all agree, no. You have not taken anything from us. You have not defrauded us. Samuel was a remarkable leader. Now, we, we saw some of, his, some of his failings, but he was a remarkable leader. And the, the witnesses of the people, of the king, the, the anointed, and of the Lord himself, they all clear him. You were righteous in our eyes, which positions him nicely to say what follows. Because next, verses 6 to 13, he puts the Lord on trial, calls the Lord to account. 
He says, Stand still while I plead with you about all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. There's, there's the verdict actually coming before the evidence. The Lord is righteous. He has acted righteously also. So we have Samuel who's been just declared righteous. The Lord is declared righteous also. Like in these things, he appointed Moses and Aaron and brought you out of Egypt. He mentions that twice in 6 and in 8. In Egypt, your fathers were oppressed and they cried out. And what happened? The Lord raised up mighty leaders, Moses and Aaron, and brought you out of the oppression and caused you to dwell here. And you forgot him. And so the Lord brought against you discipline. And that discipline, those kings, those foreign invaders, they were hard on you and you cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And what did he do? He raised up more mighty deliverers, the judges, people like me, says Samuel. And you were delivered again and again. He mentions four of them. There were more, obviously. For, this went on for between three and four hundred years. Remember the cycle of the book of Judges. The people are delivered. They are in safety. They forget the Lord. And so he sends discipline against them. And they, they suffer and they cry out. And he sends a deliverer and they are safe. And then they forget him again and again for centuries. They admit as such. Verse 10. We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the idols of the land. And that went on and on and on until finally at the end, who had enough? You did. You see, he's turning here to, to put the third party on trial, not just himself, not just the Lord, but the people are on trial also. Who had enough of that endless cycle? of endlessly forgetting the Lord and endlessly forsaking Him and endlessly going after the worshiping of the idol. Who had enough of that? You did, actually. The Lord didn't call, enough. You said, no. When our friend Nahash showed up, the guy we met in chapter 11, verse 12, he, he shows up, the king of the Ammonites, he comes against you and, and you say, we are, we, are just, we are done with that. We want a king like everybody else has, even though you already had one. I mean, he's sticking it in. He's turning it, you know. He's, he's twisting it. You wanted a king. Though you already had a king, the Lord, who had faithfully raised up mighty leaders like Moses and Aaron and me, but you said, no, give us a king. And the Lord said, okay. And the king, we just saw chapter 11, through him the Lord worked great deliverance again. And here is the king standing here before you. Verses 14 and 15 then. And if you and the king will follow the Lord, all will be well. And if not, it won't be. His hand will be against you. And now to drive that home, stand still and watch. Is it not the day of the wheat harvest? And he says that because the wheat harvest would have been in the dry season. So not that a thunderstorm would be rare, would be unheard of, but it would be very rare. So the setting here is probably one of a, of a clear sky, no expectation of rain because it doesn't rain this time of year. I'm going to ask the Lord right now to send a thunderstorm. Why does he do that? Well, he says... And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. See, up to this point, they have heard 
all of the logic, they've heard the argument, but it's not phasing them yet. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to ask the Lord to do something so that... Oh! Will happen. I'm going to ask Him to send thunder and rain. And the effect of it, verse 18... He sent thunder and rain, and the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Become awake. Oh, we're fooling with God. Oh, and the one who has the ear of the Lord, who when he says, God will you, God says, yes, I will. Oh. That's what happens. And God sends rain and they are awakened. And then they say, Oh, Samuel, pray for us that we won't die like we deserve. Because they have seen something now. That's a good request. That, that should remind us of a few other things, like when Moses interceded for the people sinning on Sinai. And asked the Lord to spare them, and he did. Or even like in chapter 7 here, where Samuel interceded for them before the great battle of Ebenezer, and God heard and acted and saved. This is a good request. The people, something's right or something's good here. And they ask Samuel to cry out to God for them. And, he, and then right there, everything changes. And he speaks mercy to them and pours on them the goodness of God. And pleads with them to consider all of the good things the Lord has done for them. End of verse 24. Remember how good He has been. What I just rehearsed there for centuries, mercy and grace. For centuries, mercy and grace. That's who He is. Don't turn away from Him. But if you do and still walk in wickedness, you shall be swept away. That's the text. One of warning and one of hope. Which can be summarized in this. Here's, here's my summary sentence for, this, for the morning. God is faithful to us in enabling the faithfulness that he requires in us. I'll say that again. It twists back on itself. God is faithful to us in enabling the faithfulness that He requires in us. He requires something of us, faithfulness, and how good He is, how good He is, how good He is to enable that, to give it, to empower it, So that's, I'm going to break that in half and make two observations, starting with what God requires. So here's the first observation. The Lord requires covenant faithfulness in order to enjoy His blessing. He always requires covenant faithfulness. Faithfulness by the covenant people to the requirements of the covenant. 
if those people expect to enjoy the blessings of the covenant. We talk about covenant in the Bible, in a biblical context. We're talking about a relationship that God sets up with people. You may recall some of this from when we worked through the book of Deuteronomy, which itself, the whole book, is the retelling of the, the covenant. But a covenant is set by someone in authority, God, with people, binding them to it. And, and the covenant will spell out, this is what is required, always faithfulness to the, the one in charge. And then at the end, this is what will happen if one keeps those requirements, and this is what will happen if one does not keep those requirements. That's the basic setup of a covenant. That's what we find here too. And a constant throughout all covenant interaction is that faithfulness is required. You see the language in, in verse 14? Notice the language of covenant blessing and cursing. If you and your king will fear the Lord and serve the Lord and obey the Lord and not rebel against His commandment but follow Him, same language shows up in verse 20. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve Him with all your heart. Or verse 24, fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. With all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is basic, fundamental to the covenant. That's what's required. Allegiance, heart level, reverence and submission and obedience he is the Lord. There is no other. They shall have no other God before Him. First commandment. God alone is in charge. God alone is to be followed in whatsoever He commands by both people and human king alike. That's what God requires. Verse 14 begins with an if. The conditional statement. If. That requirement is met, then it will be well. End of the verse. And if not, his hand against swept away. This is at the center of what Samuel's trying to communicate to the people here. This, this new arrangement of, of this kingdom, it actually hasn't changed anything because God always deals with his people with whom he is in covenant like this I am your God, you are my people. I am your ruler, your leader, your provider, your protector, your defender, your deliverer, and you follow me. The Lord still requires covenant faithfulness for us too. Let me plead with you. Do not for a moment attempt to slide by this by rationalization. Now, that's the old covenant. That doesn't apply to us. Hold on. There, there is more to say, but there is not less to say. Covenant faithfulness is always required. He still requires it of us, church. There are just as many commandments in the New Testament, the New Covenant, that call the people of God to holiness and call us to righteousness and call us to faithfulness and call us to total allegiance. Jesus Himself, did He not, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. The law. 
The New Covenant, the New Testament requires from us wholehearted loving submission, wholehearted obedience. God's desire for a holy people did not end in the Old Testament. This is talking to us also, calling us also. And as it calls to you, be sure you hear how it works. Don't overlook the ground of the call. What's, what, what it's built on. What's at the bottom? So you get the call here to covenant faithfulness. Walk with me. Trust me. Obey me. Serve me with all your heart. Don't miss the ground. What does it come out of? What's it built on? We need to be honest and say this passage, this text, there is clearly threat here. This is the hard part. There is clearly danger. The language is not, the language is, if not this, then his hand will be against you, swept away. I mean, that, that's, that's threat. It's so church, I plead with you, be warned by the threat. Beware. As we, if we, as we tolerate sin in us, in others, as we turn a blind eye towards it, as we shade it, rationalize it, if, as we do that, we have a threat before us that we should fear. We do not want to end up as one of those under the verse, God opposes the proud. It's in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament written to the church. Book of James, book of First Peter. Written to the church. God opposes the proud. It does not say God opposes the non-Christian proud. The hand of God opposes the proud. That should, should cause us to stop and think that through. There's a threat there. The hand of God against me? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Lord's discipline can be hard. Contemplate for a second. The Holy Spirit grieved and withdrawn from us. No taste of His presence. No power. Unable to accomplish anything. God opposing the work of our hands. There is threat there that should concern us and cause us to stop. So be aware of that. Beware of it. However, more than that, more than that, may you have eyes to see that the emphasis in the passage, and I would argue the emphasis in the Bible, falls on the kind and merciful grace of God on the promise of good from Him to those who walk with Him. Verse 14 says, If faithful to the covenant, then it will be well with you. 
That's a promise. That's a lure. It will be well with you. And verse 21, look at verse 21. What's woven into verse 21? Behind the call not to turn aside after empty things, for there is no profit there and they do not deliver you because they are empty. What's woven into that? In the Lord, do not turn away from the Lord after them. In the Lord, He's not empty. And there is profit there for you. There is deliverance there for you. Lure again. It does not say, don't go after empty things because He'll strike you. Don't go after empty things because unlike the Lord, there's no profit there. There is profit somewhere though. Lure. And it's the same language in verse 24. Fear the Lord faithfully with all your heart. Serve Him. Consider what great things He has done for you like I was just rehearsing in the beginning part of the passage. When I recounted all the righteous deeds the Lord done for you and for your fathers, He has centuries of evidence piled up here. He is good to you. He is good to you. He is good to you. Walk with Him. Don't turn away from Him to what doesn't profit, what can't deliver. He is good. He profits. He delivers. Walk with Him. It will be well. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him or else He'll strike you. Is not what the verse says. What does the verse say? In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Good. Offer. Blessing. Profit. Promise. That's the dynamic that is dominant in the Bible. God most speaks to us, calling us to, luring us to, commanding us to faithfulness in the covenant, most dominantly by means of grace and promise. Less so, I can't say never, less so by threat and punishment. What dominates God's call to us is grace and promise. Grace and promise, come and find your life. So beware there's a threat, but, but don't focus on that because that's not the focus. The focus is life found with me. Come. In faith obeying. Do you see how that works? Faith. Because you have to hear the promise and believe that if I step this way, I will find life. And if I step that way, I won't. Promise and grace is met on the other side by faith. That's how He calls you to faithfulness. Trust me. I'll profit you. It'll be well with me. That's who I am. Which makes it an utter tragedy that we don't want to walk with him. It dominates the passage is stand still and let me prosecute you. Because while we have centuries of promise held out from God, we have centuries of forgetting him and walking away. Man, those people don't get it. 
Man, we are just like him. So stand still and let him prosecute his case against you for your good. For your good. For your good. You ever had a, I, I think of coaches because this has been dominant for me, but you ever had a coach who straight up tells you, you don't know what you're doing and you're messing everything up? I hope you have, because that's the first step towards doing it right and being helpful and succeeding. Right? You don't, nobody wants a coach that says, the way you do it automatically is right. Have you ever seen a team of young people? Nobody knows what they're doing. Somebody has to correct that for the good of the players and for the good of the team. When he prosecutes his case against you, it is for your good. To show you where you wander, where you are off, and where to where you must return to find the profit and the blessing. So let him prosecute you for your good. And may he do, I pray, may he do a verse 18 miracle to awaken you so that the arguments, the language, that yeah, 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 whoa, will mean something to you. And you will see, that is me, woe is me, I am undone. May He work on you to open your eyes. To do something that would leave you knowing and seeing your great wickedness in the sight of the Lord. If I'm speaking to a Christian, I know most here are Christians, yes, indeed, bless God, as we will talk about, you are a beloved saint. Yes, that's coming. Be real. In yourself, you are a sinner. And acknowledging that and seeing that is step one towards addressing it. So may he open your eyes to it and show you where have you, the the fundamental issue here that Samuel's doing this on is you had a king and you said no. You know, they, they see all their sin and multiplied on top of that, we have asked for ourselves a king. Oh, it comes up again and again, 17, 19. The fundamental issue, you have a king May he open your eyes to show you where you say, No, I want another king in a different kingdom. Frankly, I'd be happy with me. Because it's there in you. Sometimes it's very high-handed. Sometimes it is high-handed offense. You know, strong word, language, you know, you, God. I think most commonly for us, it's not quite that clear It's subtle and hidden. It looks a lot more like forgot the Lord and pursued the agenda in the kingdom of the world. Pursued the values of the world. Pursued life in what the world gives. The the basic issue is that we are prone to think, I don't need him. 
I don't want him. And when it all hits the fan, then perhaps we might call him back. But when it's over, then goodbye again. I will proceed like I wish to proceed, following my agenda. That's at, oh man, that's in every one of us. May he open your eyes to see it. Perhaps you, perhaps you sit there right now and you're thinking, if I were to write down X, thought X, behavior X, word X, sentence X that I said last night, that I did yesterday, that I, that I hold towards the other person, there's no way on earth I could defend that I'm clearly in the wrong. Maybe, it's, maybe the resistance of the king is that clear to you. Maybe it's not, and if it's not, don't think it's not there. Look for the areas where you get anxious and upset, where you strive. What you're striving at, what you're willing to do to get it. What agitates you. Look at those areas. Perhaps there you'll find, where do I resist the king and his agenda for my life? Sometimes it's blatant rationalization. Sometimes a dismissal of God's word because that's not convenient. It doesn't feel right to me. I plead with you. Look for your rejection of the Lord as king and may he, may he shine to show it to you. May he awaken you to it. So much of our trouble and so much of our emptiness and our joylessness and our discontentedness and our angst because we are, we are pushing against something, maybe pulling away from something that we're lashed to, but striving. You see it in your life. The answer is repentance. To say, oh God, This is what I am, confession. This is what I have done. This is what I think about. This is what I want, confession and repentance turning. Repent. Turn. Stop. Go the other way. In your heart, in allegiance to Him in the heart, behavior follows. The heart. From the heart, he emphasizes that a couple times. Faithfully, with all your heart. Surrender to him. He requires covenant faithfulness from us if we hope to enjoy his blessing. So repent. And that takes us then to the second observation. Here's the second one. Fear not. The Lord remains faithful to deliver you from your faithlessness. Fear not. The Lord remains faithful to deliver you from your faithlessness. 
There's something marvelous here about our God. Something marvelous here. People are awakened to their state. You know, verse 18 is the... And they greatly fear. They know they deserve to die for their multiplied sin against this mighty one. And Samuel says, verse 20, Fear not. Don't be afraid. It's actually no big deal. No. He pushes it again. Don't be afraid. You did that. That's who you are. Uh Uh-huh. But we're moving on. Fear not. Do not turn away from him. Why, this is the question we should ask, why does fear, in 16 to 18, become don't be afraid, in verse 20? See that? 16 to 18, Samuel is deliberately setting about asking the Lord to do something that would result in them greatly fearing the Lord and Samuel. And then two verses later, he says, don't be afraid. Make up your mind, Samuel. How is that? It's 16, 17, 18 leads to 20 by what's in the middle, what's between that. The the awakening of the people and the repentance of the people, the turning to, to Samuel as intercessor. Lord, we are guilty. We deserve to die. That's confession and repentance. Cry out to us and for us and ask him to spare us. Coming back. It's a good and right thing. And on that, the whole scene changes. There is no longer thunder and fear. There is fear not. Even in the face of faithfulness, of faithlessness, God still is faithful to deliver them. In in a legal way, legally, in a, a just way, This is implied here, not the main focus, but implied. Because don't forget, this whole thing sits in a context. We have one chapter here that's taken out of a covenant context. And in that covenant, there is a whole system for sacrifice. A whole system by which God has provided a sacrifice that can make the people right in His eyes. Grace. We sometimes get confused about things. We talk about Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, and we think that the New Testament, the New Covenant is about grace, and the Old Testament is about law. I've, I've had conversations with people who say we shouldn't even talk about the Old Testament because it's all about law. They just misunderstand. You, you, would, you would wonder how can the people of the Old Testament love the gracious and merciful God of the Old Testament, they hadn't had the New Testament yet because they see His grace and His mercy all throughout the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the Old Testament too. That's who He is. He's God. And at every turn, there is a provision. There there are centuries of mercy here. There's a provision of sacrifice that says if you actually from your heart offer up the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the seat of atonement, I will remove wrath. And you will live. That is grace in the Old Testament. And God is faithful to deliver people from their faithlessness via a sacrifice in the Old Testament that is only temporary. It's 
always pointing us forward to something else, a new and better sacrifice that once and for all will deliver people from sinless, from sin and from faithlessness. We have here an intercessor who cries out so that they won't die. We have an intercessor who pleads for our life and points to the cross to say, look, it has been paid for, Father, spare them. A great lamb who removes sin. God provided Christ crucified to deliver you from faithlessness. It has happened by God's provision. Behold the goodness of God. Consider, as verse 24 says, the great things He has done for you. So He is faithful to deliver us from our faithlessness, and I say that in a legal, just sense, but that is not the main focus of the passage. Because the main focus of the passage is not about how to be forgiven for the sin they have committed. The main focus of the passage is calling them to walk faithfully tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And centuries of experience have shown them that that's not going to happen by their own effort. You see, see the thrust here is what's going to happen tomorrow. If you will walk with Him, then you will find it to be well. It's all forward-looking. So walk with him. And they're saying, I don't think we can. At least we haven't been able to for a really long time, generations. I don't think we can. And right there, that's where God is faithful to empower the faithfulness that he requires. How is he going to do it? Well, they, they cry out, help. And look what Samuel pours on them. The goodness and the faithfulness of God. Verse 22. This is a beautiful verse. You could preach a whole sermon on this one verse. Verse 22 is wonderful. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you, you his people. On you He has put His name. He has made you His children, His people, His sons and His daughters. Like a father who puts His name on His kids, His name rests on you. And even if you remain faithless, He will remain faithful because He cannot disown Himself. He has made you His own by His own delight, His own choice. It says there that it pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. He was under no obligation whatsoever. There was nothing owed to you, nothing you deserved, nothing you had on Him. But of His own free choice, He chose to make you His beloved people. To claim you. He's passionate for you. He will never leave. That is a marvelous thing. He has great, deep love for you as His children. Believe that. And more than that, above all, He has a great love for His own honor because it says right in the middle, for the sake of His great name. 
He will not abandon you. His name is on you, which says something about you, that He would love you so to put His name on you. But He is greatly committed to the honor of His name and will never let His name go. So you, trapped marvelously in His name, will be pulled on to the blessings of the covenant so that He can show, look, I'm a blessing God. God loves His name, loves to defend His name. Bless God that you are in His name. He will deliver you for His own name's sake. How? Think of it like this. I'm going to use the idea of boarding school. Even if you don't think this is a good idea for parenting, just understand the illustration. Think of a rich and powerful parent who sends a child off to boarding school and knows Junior's going to be a thousand miles away and likely to have some trouble. I'm a rich and powerful person. I'm going to hire somebody to go with him. An older, wiser person who will go and will be the roommate, who will be the accompany, the, the accompaniment, who will be the chaperone, who will be the tutor. Who will have my cell phone number, access to my bank account, all of my riches, all of my power, all of my influence, this one will have and will be right there to teach and to guide Junior as he grows up. That's Samuel. Far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you and teaching you in the good and the way you should go. He's going to leave them one who has his ear, clearly shown. He has, he has the ear of God. Lord, make it thunder and rain. I'm going to leave you one who has my ear and can intercede for you at every place where you have need and can bring down on you what is needed and will teach you, guide you, shepherd you, counsel you, advise you in the truth, in the way you should go, the way that is good. That's what Samuel's going to do. And he says, far be it for me to sin against the Lord because it's the Lord who's given him the assignment. It's not from the goodness of his own heart or because they asked. The Lord said, I want you to do this. That's God saying to his people, I want this to happen in you. I want there to be an intercessor with you who has my ear. And I want there to be one with you who will guide you and instruct you and teach you. That's Samuel in this passage. But Samuel died. Thank God that He has not left us as orphans. But has given to you whom? As an intercessor and as a guide, a teacher to lead you into the way you should go. Christ won for you the presence of the Spirit in you. To guide you to Obedience to the King. The Spirit in you to take the Word of God and illuminate it and say, this is the truth, this is the way you should go. 
And to call down the power of God on you to shape you and incline you to keep you away from this and point you towards that. It is the work of God the Spirit in you sanctifying you, which you need. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. But God is so faithful to give you what you need. Do you listen? Do you turn to Him? Do you seek Him? Do you surrender to Him? Are you convinced that you need Him and do you want Him? The Spirit of God has been given by God to guide you to God, to guide you to His truth, to conform you to His image for your great good. But the Scripture is also clear that we can grieve the Spirit. And He is willing to say, okay, see how that goes. He's willing to do that. Don't put Him in that position. But surrender and cry out to Him, God, work on me and change me. There's a great offer, a great provision here. Brothers and sisters, God is so good to us, ever remaining faithful to us, even when we are faithless, but remaining faithful to us to give us access to Him and to give us power, to give us a taste of His presence. I plead with you, surrender to Him and ask for His, his control of you. May we be a people filled with the Spirit that is directed and empowered by Him. Not just indwelt, directed and empowered by Him. Convinced that we need Him. Yearning for His influence on us that we can walk ever increasingly in covenant faithfulness finding the blessing that God means for us to enjoy. God is faithful to us in enabling the faithfulness that He requires in us. By atoning for our sin and giving us the Spirit to move us to follow His decrees. The Old Testament's assessment of the blessing of the New Testament. To give us the Spirit to move us to follow His decrees. So pray. After I pray here, it will be a time for you to pray and repent if you need to. Ask for His guidance if you need it. Pray. Father, would you shower on us in ways that alert us to where we are stiff-arming you if that's what's needed. And then would you shower on us blessing. The great blessing of the new covenant, the Spirit in us, pointing us to Christ. Shower Him on us, Your people. Have Your way with us. Illumine Your Word. Shine so that Christ is seen and loved and followed by us, Your people. 
call us to him, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.